if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter number 15. And I hope you've had a great week thus far, enjoying this beautiful weather that we have. It seems like just a month or so ago we were talking about where the snow was going to be and how it was going to snow. And um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you missed the snow this year? All right, several of us. All right, my people. All right, uh, I love the snow. And uh, growing up in Georgia, we didn't see it very often. And uh, so I remember one snow when I was a kid. And so moving further north the last couple moves, it's been very nice to see snow. So it's kind of sad that we didn't get to see it this year. And so some of you who are from further up north, you're like, thank the Lord. We don't have to put up with this stuff. Um, But anyway, uh, we've been looking at the failed leadership of King Saul in the last several weeks. Uh, Saul had great opportunities for success. Uh, He was leading the nation of Israel, God's people, uh, in a great environment, strong spiritual accountability in his life. In Samuel, the prophet who led the people before him, everything was going great. But Saul was a poor leader. And Saul allowed the opinions of others to drive the decisions that he was making. What will people think about me? What will people think about this decision? What will uh, make me, will this situation, will this decision make me more popular with this group, this person, this family? And every leader should be concerned with what uh, and how people will respond, what they think, how they respond. But leaders cannot make decisions solely on what people will think. Our uh, basis for decision-making must be what will God think? Uh, Will God receive the glory? Will he be glorified? Uh, Can God be glorified in this decision? Is it even possible? And Saul had chance after chance to do the right thing, uh, to do what was right, but we see uh, the continual spiral downward for Saul in the last straw. The final straw, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back for Saul is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And if you're taking notes, you can write down number one, the sequel. The sequel. Uh, We see chapter 15 begins right after the recap of Saul's failed reign of the people. Chapter 14, verse 47 through 52, you can read it later. It talks about that he was in battle all of his life. Uh, Every day that he reigned, he was fighting against some other nation, fighting someone. What a great testimony. Uh, Always in a fight, always in a battle. And and the entire time involved in some kind of conflict, constantly in battle. And life can be like that sometimes. We feel like we're going from one battle to the next. It feels like everything's going well and uh, we have one battle after the other. Uh, But maybe it's like when the fridge goes out and the freezer the same week. Uh, maybe it's when the dryer goes out and the washing machine. Seem like they always, uh, same time, same time, uh, where you feel like you've got uh, your finances finally in a safe place and you can breathe again. And then you take the car to the shop for an oil change and you come out with a $4,000 bill. Uh, you know, all of those things. Uh, when your spouse tells you that they want counseling, when your kids say, I don't want to go back to church anymore, uh, when your kids leave home and say, I'm not coming back. When all of these things start crashing in, start falling in one after the other, these are real battles that we face. Uh, These are real struggles. And maybe not the first time. Maybe it's not the first conflict. And for Saul, it wasn't the first time. It wasn't the first battle. But we see before we get to Saul, 
a familiar foe in the people of Amalek. Now, this was not the first time they were mentioned either. Now, this is not the first time that they had gone to battle against God's people. Look at verse number 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remembered that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, Ox and sheep, camel and ass, and Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen. Now that's a far cry from the few thousand that he had a couple chapters ago. He's got an army now. He's got all of the force behind his name and uh, following him, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek, laid wait in the valley. Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites depart from among the Amalekites. And small, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to sure that it's over against Egypt. The Amalekites, that group that we see in Deuteronomy chapter number 25. Uh, we see that God is, is speaking and uh, it says, uh, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way. When you were come forth out of Egypt, uh, Moses speaking here, uh, God reminding uh, here, but uh, Moses speaking, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way. When you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. I remember the story as the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt and going into the wilderness. Just natural progression. Uh, the older people were in the back. Uh, it seemed like let's sit that way uh, on Sunday morning. But uh, the older people uh, walking in the back, uh, the older people uh, kind of carrying along, bringing up the rear, uh, the feeble people not as quick, not as young, not as spry as everybody else. And uh, what would happen is the Amalekites would attack from the rear. They would come up from behind and sneak attack, and they would pick off the people who were feeble. They would pick off the ones who weren't as strong. Just like Satan works. Uh, the people who are falling behind. Uh, the people who are not as strong. The people who are falling away from the rest of the group. Satan attacks that way. The Amalekites attack that way. And little by little they were chewing into the resources that the Israelites had on the way out of Egypt. That has been 500 years before we see in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 500 years have gone by. But who remembered? God. 500 years. And God said, I remember what they did to my people. I remember. Now, this is a very simple task for Saul. Go and wipe them all out. Now, we see that. A super simple. Now, verse 3. Now, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not. Man and woman. Everything. Everybody. Kill them all. God remembered what happened 500 years before that. And I'm thankful that God chooses what to remember. I think about the truth that he remembers the offenses against his people. 
but then chooses to forget the offenses of his people. Now think about that. He remembers the offenses against his people. When someone comes against us, when Satan attacks us, he remembers those offenses against, but the things that we do, he chooses to forget. We come to him in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he cast them as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. He chooses not to remember our offenses, the offenses of his people. Uh, Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Uh, just a side note. When is the last time that you and I thank God for forgetting our sin? And when's the last time that you came to him and, hey, I don't need to ask for anything today, Lord. I just wanted to say thank you for giving, for forgiving a sinner. Now, thank you for, I am so glad, the old song says, I'm so glad that God saves old sinners. You know, And uh, we qualify uh, for that statement. But God gave specific instructions. Kill them all. Wipe them out. Out, No holding back. Kill the people, the kids, the animals. Why? Because kids grow up and want revenge. What happened to grandma and grandpa? I'm going to get even. What happened to mom and dad? I'm going to get even. Animals had been set apart for pagan worship and God wanted to eliminate any trace of impurity from the Amalekites. Wipe them all out. And And this was not a request. This is a command. This is not something where... Saul had an option. He made it an option. Uh, Saul took a command and turned it into a request. Now, the commands of God are not up for discussion no matter what culture says, no matter what we say, no matter what we believe, what we feel. Pastor, uh, I don't think that's fair. Uh, Sometimes you just got to deal with it. But God's commands should be commands not turned into requests or up for debate based on how we feel. The commands of God are non-negotiable. Jerry Bridges said, The word command carries the idea of authority. The most basic meaning of the word is to direct with authority. A command does not just give guidance that one may accept or reject. A command implies that the one giving it has the authority to require obedience and the intention of doing so. This is true of the commands of God. As the sovereign God of the universe, he has the authority to require obedience and he does insist that we obey him. He is God. He is the ruler of all things. And when he says, obey, when he says, This is a command. It is not up for discussion. It is not up for our interpretation. There are some things that we don't have to pray about. The commands of God are one of them. And we just say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever you lead me to do, where he leads me, I'll follow. And what he feeds me, I'll swallow. But I am going to do the commands of God because they're not up for debate. We see that this is not the first time we've seen the people of Amalek, but we see that we have a sequel now in Saul in verses 8 through 12. This is not the first time that Saul has been here. Not the first time that Saul has made up his own guidelines, his own rules when it comes to God's command. 
Remember 1 Samuel chapter 13? 13, 13. Bad luck. <laughs> 13, 13. 1 Samuel 13, 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. Saul had already been told that he was going to lose the kingdom. Already been told that it was going to be given to someone else. So this wasn't new news. This is simply a repeat performance of what had already happened. And we see that Saul had his agenda the entire time. Look at verse number 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Now, why in the world? Remember, verse 3, God said, all of them. Wipe them all out, Saul. Uh, Samuel, you tell him. Samuel relays the message. You got it, Saul? Yeah, I got it. Go to battle. And in verse number 8, he's saving the king. Now, this is not God saved the king. This is Saul saved the king. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. There is one lone survivor, the leader. One lone survivor. But look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lamb and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they, utter, they destroyed utterly. Here's the thing. They see, yeah, that looks good. We're going to keep that. Nah, that's ugly. Let's get rid of that. Now they have gone from just, hey, we're going to make it up as we go now we get to set the rules. We have a downward progression now of what is acceptable. And now Saul, not only Saul, but the people are now making their own rules along the way. It kind of sounds like the book of Genesis when it said, man did that which was right in his own eyes. I'm going to set my agenda. I'm going to do what I think is best in this situation. No consulting with the Lord. No uh, feedback. And what happens? Verse number 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel. While Saul and the people are having their way, word trickles back. Now how is this possible? How in the world does Samuel find out? Because the one who knows all things shared all things. The one who saw, uh, excuse me, saw Saul. Say that one three times. Uh, the one who saw Saul shared with Samuel. Look at verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he has turned back from following me hath not performed my commandments. Now, we already know this. We already know that Saul is on the way out. We already know that all of that is taking place. But what is the response? Verse 11, and it grieved Samuel. Uh, you have to wonder if there was a little piece of Samuel that kind of hoped that Saul would turn it around. Maybe there was a little piece. Maybe it was pride of this is the guy that I picked. God said, anoint him. So Samuel's name is kind of on the line. But then Samuel shares the news with Saul that he's on the way out. But you have to wonder that Samuel really did care that Saul would do what was right. 
Hey, I'm telling you this not just to uh, rebuke you, but actually cared how it all turned out. Verse 11 again, it grieved Samuel. What happened? And he cried unto the Lord all night. Surely not. Surely not. But it shows that God can and will share what we've done to disobey his word with other people. Remember in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, when they're sharing with the people who had left and gone back over Jordan River and uh, said, we'll come and we'll fight in the battle. You just call us and we'll come. And remember Moses and leadership said, but if you will not do so, behold, you've sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. How could Moses and the leadership say that with such authority? Because Moses knows knew what we know. God sees it all. God sees it all. God knows, Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. It shows us that Samuel hoped that Saul would change, but we see that Samuel gets hurt. It says it grieved Samuel. You know, it hurts us. When we see leaders that we hope will make the right decision or we know that they know better. We hope that they'll make the right decision, but they don't follow through where the Lord leads them. They don't make the right choice. Maybe you've, you've been the victim of a leader who goes their own way. And maybe you've watched a, a, vict, a leader in your own life that has made choices that are their choice and not God's choice. Maybe you've been the victim on the receiving end, someone you looked up to, you respected. Uh, we could go around the room and share stories of people that we said, man, I, I, I looked up to them and I respected them. I listened to them preach or I was in their class or I, I respected them at one time and they've ruined their testimony. They've ruined their life. You know, remember that it's, we're all human and prone to sin. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But that should remind us to keep our eyes on the Lord, not man. It should remind us to focus on Him, but also to pray for the leadership that we have around us. To pray for the leaders that God has put in our life. And not just the pastor, not just our president, not just uh, other people around, but all of our leaders. Those that lead us, whether that's our boss, whether that's our supervisor, whether that's our family, whether that's people in our community, but praying for our leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercession be given of thanks. And be made for all men, for kings. And for all that are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Godliness and honesty. And making sure that I live a life above reproach. Uh, the Bible word, 1 Timothy chapter 3, is the word blameless. To where someone can't look at my life and have reason to accuse. Blameless. Uh, Albert Moeller said, with power and responsibility must come accountability. A leader without accountability is an accident waiting to happen. A leader without accountability is an accident waiting to happen. I'm thankful that when we had three years ago today, three years ago today, Easter Sunday, uh, Easter with the empty room, that's what it was. 
uh, three years ago today, Easter Sunday in the empty room, COVID services. Uh, three years ago today, uh, preaching to an empty room on Easter Sunday, and they said it would never happen. Uh, but uh, there it was, uh, with the empty room. And I'm, I'm thankful that we had leadership with accountability. I'm thankful that we had uh, a room of men who said, uh, we might not agree personally, but when it comes to the things of God, we're all going to walk out of here in unity. We're all going to be on the same page. We might all have a different perspective. We might all look at it from a different uh, directive, but we're all going to be unified together, uh, endeavoring to keep the bond of peace together, united, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, we all need that accountability. We all need people around us who will challenge us. We don't need yes people in our lives. You all know what that is? Uh, Everybody who always agrees with us. If you have everyone around you who is always agreeing with you, at some point you're going to hit friction and you're not going to know how to respond. We need people who will challenge us, who will ask us those tough questions. Are you sure this is something God wants you to do? Are you sure this is the right decision? And make us think about it. Uh, We have dumbed down our thought process. Think about just the basic things. All right, tonight let's just get real practical. We don't even have to spell words anymore. We can speak it. We can speak it on a device and it magically types it up for us. We don't even have to spell because as I'm typing my text out, it's correcting my grammar errors. I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to keep track of people's phone numbers. You remember a day when we actually had to know somebody's phone number? Think about when's the last time someone asked you for somebody's phone number and you could just shoot it off. Well, I'll send you the contact. I'll send you that. We don't even think about it because all of these things are thinking for us. That's not always a good thing. Remember, uh, some of you guys can remember when calculators were introduced into math class. It was like, man, I don't have to do all the work. I don't have to show my work. You know, I can just do it on this magical device. All of those things are thinking for us. That's not always a good thing. We need to be challenged. We need accountability in our life to challenge and strengthen our faith. You know, iron sharpens iron is not something that's a fun process. It's not always enjoyable. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I don't know that I've ever had a wound that was fun. Man, how can I hurt myself today and enjoy it? I don't know that I'm going to ask that question. You know, how can I be hurt and it be fun? Uh, that's not something that you think about. But we need that accountability in our life. We need to be strengthened. And the only way that we can strengthen something is to have tension applied. To where all of a sudden now it's a tense situation. I need strengthening. That's how it happens. So we see that all of a sudden you've got this sequence of events where uh, Amalek Now we know who they are. Uh, They're repeating the process. Saul repeating the process. And then we see number two, the surprise that's mentioned. The surprise. Everything at Saul's camp is going great. And then Samuel walks up. The surprise. When Samuel arrives, there is a shocking statement. Look at verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, and Saul said unto him, 
Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, a couple different thoughts. This is either the height of arrogance or the height of stupidity. One of the two. Okay, uh, There's a lot of gray mass there, but uh, this is one of the two. This is either Saul trying to pull one over on Samuel as an arrogant leader, or Saul is really dumb. Not realizing that, Saul, that Samuel already has inside information. And if Saul was a smart man, he would know that every single time he did something, God told on him. And who did he tell? He told Samuel. So this should not have been a major surprise. And think about all that he had done. Had he really done all that the Lord commanded? No. Uh, That thing that the Lord shared with Samuel, verse 11, remember? He said, he has not performed my commandments. He's turned back from following me. He's not performed my commandments. And Samuel asks a very simple, direct question. And here it is. What's that sound? He says, I have performed all the commandment of the Lord. In verse 14, Samuel says, What meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in my ear? What is that sound? What am I hearing, Saul? I should be hearing talking, but I hear animals. Didn't I tell you what God said? Didn't you hear the message? Didn't you understand all these questions? I gave you very specific instructions, Saul. What is that sound? I wonder how often that's us. We say, I have done everything that God has commanded me. And God says, then what's that sound? I I read my Bible this week. But are you faithful with your mind over here in this area? I I came to church, Pastor. But did you share with that co-worker who needs Christ that there's hope for him? Uh, uh, Pastor, you know, I love my wife. But yeah, what about when you mistreated your kids? Uh, I did all that God commanded me. What's that sound? What's that sound? We do one thing and leave other things undone. And we want to pat ourselves on the back. Man, look at what a good job I did. God is not impressed. God's not impressed. He even doubles down. Saul going even further. If it wasn't already bad enough. Verse 20, and Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and brought Agag the king of Amalek, and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Samuel calls him on the error, and Saul says, But I did do it. I did what God said. But don't look at that guy over there. This is the perfect insert right here. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. But I did everything that God told me to do. But what was Saul's excuse? Because when you can't take ownership and your pride won't allow you to confess, you have to find someone else to blame. Haven't we heard that before? Hey, you know what? It it wasn't me. It was those people. 
You know, if I had, I, Pastor, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, I, if I hadn't, uh, those people, if I wasn't even in the car uh, with those people, uh, can we make it even more biblical? Adam, did you eat? Oh, but Eve, Eve, did you? No, the serpent passing the blame. What does Saul do? Keeps right in line. Uh, the people, uh, the people did that. In verse 15, they have brought for the people spared. Now remember, verse 9, but Saul and the people. Uh, verse 8, and he, Saul, took Agag. It was all on Saul. But Samuel brings him back to reality. And, and this is the thing. Uh, we might not finish this tonight, but uh, look at verse number 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay. Now, remember, Samuel said the people. The people. They. 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 They did it. It's all on them. Uh, don't blame me. It's, I'm, I'm following the people. But look at what Samuel says in verse 16. And I want you to count the personal connection, those words, those personal pronouns, where he connects back to Saul and how many times he mentions the people. Look at verse 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay. You know what that word means? Stop. He says, I don't want to hear another word. Now, that's what Samuel's saying. Uh, can, we, can we bring it to 2023? Shut up. There's no kids in the room. <laughs> uh, if, not on a Sunday morning. But shut up. Stop. I don't want to hear anymore. And he says, let me talk. Uh, who, who was it that said, he who talketh much, sinneth much? Uh, the people, uh, even a fool when he holdeth his tongue is considered wise. Uh, we get ourselves in trouble when we talk too much. You talk too much. But what happens? Look at verse 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. Hey, let, let me tell you what God said. Now, one, one thing right here, and then we'll go to verse 17. When God speaks... We need to listen. When God speaks, we need to listen. And even when he uses another mouthpiece, when somebody says, let me tell you what God said to me, we need to listen. We need to listen. Verse 17. And Samuel said, when thou wast little. One. Okay. Saul one, people zero. Here we go. Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spool and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Hey, verse 16, I'll tell thee, when thou wast thou anointed thee, the Lord sent thee, and then didst Thou not obey the voice of the Lord. Six times. How many times did Samuel call out the people? Zero. Six times the leader. Zero times the people. You know what that tells me? God has a higher responsibility and accountability level for the leader. 
God holds the leader to a higher standard than the people. We can prove this biblically in 1 Timothy chapter 3. When Paul is writing to Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, uh, come back to growth group Sunday night, uh, but uh, the leader of the church of Ephesus in chapter 3, and he says, let me tell you the lay of the leadership tree. He doesn't say, tell the people to be blameless and tell the people to be the husband and wife and tell the people to uh, stay off alcohol and tell the people to know how they lead their house well. Leadership. Leadership. Lead well, people follow. Lead well, be an example. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Be thou, 4, verse 12. Be thou an example of the believers. Be thou, Timothy. You be example. Uh, hey, don't, don't let them uh, corrupt your thinking. Uh, don't let them despise thy youth. Be thou an example. You be the leader, and people will follow. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. They must give account. A leader has to give account three ways. Most, most of the time, three ways. For himself, for his family, and those he leads. A pastor has to give three accounts. For himself, for his family, for his church. Has to give an account. They must give an account. What is the goal? That they may do it with joy. Stand for God, I, I did what you asked me to do. I was faithful. Those servants, those that had the talents, Lord, I gave, got five and I, I multiplied it to five. Well done. I got two and, and now I have two more. Well done. Lord, I took the one because I knew you were a hard man. Thou wicked servant. Wicked. God holds leaders to a higher standard, a higher example. But if you, we would fail if we didn't mention that we're all leading someone. We're all leading someone. Are you giving people a good example to follow? Are you leading people in the right direction? I love what someone wisely said. If you're not accountable in life, that means ultimately that your life doesn't count. If you're not accountable in life, that means ultimately that your life doesn't count. We need accountability. Samuel says God is not impressed, Saul. God is not impressed until you're obedient. God is not impressed with what we bring to the table. No matter what our talents and our gifts are, God is not impressed with what we do. God is not impressed. What is God impressed with? When we obey. When we obey. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, Luke 6, 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Uh, Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. God desires and expects his people to be obedient. And when we get to verse 24, we see Saul finally admit that he had sinned, but he admitted that he was sorry that he sinned. Hey, I, I, I sinned. Uh, Samuel, you're right, I sinned. But was he sorry he sinned or was he sorry that he got caught in the sin? 
uh, didn't even acknowledge that he would make it right. Nothing. Instead of fearing the Lord, he feared the people. Instead of obeying the Lord, he obeyed the people. We see the strength in verse 26 through 31. And he says, hey, just pardon my sin. Uh, pray for me. Uh, do something for me. Uh, ask the Lord to forgive me. And actions have consequences. What does Samuel say? Verse 26, Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. Hey, I, I'm not going back with you, Saul. Why? For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. I'm not going to be guilty by association, Saul. I'm not spending time with you because the Lord's rejected you from being the king. I'm not going to be seen with you. I'm not even going to be identified with you because God has refused you. And what does he do? He turns to walk away. Saul reaches out, grabs his garment, and tears. Verse 28, and Samuel makes the analogy. The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And that's not the, the word better that we would think, that David is better than Saul. But it does mean that he's talking about someone who is more of a pure heart than Saul. Remember chapter 13, verse, four, or verse 14. He says, The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, pursuing the Lord. Uh, the Lord's commanded him to be captain over his people. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon said, A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you and forget me not to wither. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. May your character be not a writing upon the sand, but an inscription upon the rock. Someone who has good character. At the end of the chapter, in verse number 30, he says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people. My people, and before Israel, and turn again with me that I will worship the Lord thy God. That was Saul's problem. Focused on my people, they're mine. Remember when God spoke to Samuel, whose people were they? When he said, I'm going to anoint Saul, I'm going to show him, today you're going to see him, that he'll be captain over my people. And what was Saul's problem? They're mine, Samuel. They're mine, but that's your God. Wouldn't even, hey, if you're going to identify, make sure that you identify with the right person. And Saul, Saul was on the wrong side. My people, your God. My people, your God. Should have been my God, his people. But instead, he got it backwards. And the Lord does not overlook obedience to him with our potential for him. God doesn't overlook and say, well, you know, I'll dismiss that he's not obedient because look at all that potential. No, no. God wants obedience. God does not overlook obedience to him with our potential for him. He expects and requires obedience first. And then lastly tonight, we see the sign in verse 32 through 35. Then said Samuel, bring ye hither to me Agag. Now remember, all of a sudden, Samuel jumps back in the mix. Samuel was not about to leave with something undone. Because now Samuel's reputation is on the line. Samuel has come into this mix and the people are disobedient. Samuel could have said, peace, and got out. 
but he would have been guilty. Why? Because he walked into the middle of a bad situation, and now he's responsible for the bad situation. What's he do? Look at verse 33. And Samuel said, As the sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces. Don't you just love the vivid description of the Bible? Chopped him up in little pieces. That's what it says. Hewed him in pieces. Before, I, I imagine those hibachi guys, you know, chopping it all up. Uh, Agag all, all over. Uh, in pieces before the Lord. Then Samuel said to Ramah, I went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented and made Saul king over Israel. God pronounced judgment. Samuel carries it out. But here's the thing. Saul had the opportunity to do right, and he expected someone else to do what he was expected to do. Seems like about two chapters later that happens again. Remember when the teenage boy runs out on the battlefield? Who was still in his tent? The one that should have been out there. Saul relied. Remember pride. Uh, We'll blame others, but then pride says, oh, you can do that for me. I don't want to do, I don't want to get my hands dirty. And Saul let Samuel do his own. Remember, there was a time when Saul was humble. Remember in verse number 17? Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight. The Lord made you king, Saul, when you were humble. But oh, how far Saul had gone from that time of humility. Uh, Sometimes being exalted isn't a good thing. And it wasn't good for Saul. He could have been blessed, could have been used by the Lord, but didn't happen. The next step would be to see what God would do. God had already said, I'm going to turn the kingdom over to someone who's better, who's more of a pure heart, who's uh, following me, pursuing me. But is that our testimony? Uh, That we obey the Lord in certain areas, but I don't want to touch this. Uh, This is my sacred cow. Uh, Nobody can touch this over here. Uh, Not even God can tell me what to do in this area. Uh, That sacred cow where I have to protect that at all costs. I do what... I want to do in that area. It's off limits, God. That's mine. That's where Saul was. And because of that attitude, God said, I can't use you. Man, why would we want to live when we get to that place? Saul lived years after this. This is just the beginning of the demise. But Saul could not and would not be used ever again because he was living for himself instead of for God. Is that our testimony? Where we say, my way, not God's way. My way, Lord, not yours. My will, God, not yours. Jesus, the polar opposite. Not my will, but thine be done. The ultimate example. Can we say that we're wholly following the Lord? Ironically, that was David's testimony. That he wholly followed the Lord his God. That was his, and he is getting ready to be exalted to that place. It would take years for him to get the kingdom, but he's getting ready to be exalted because he wholly followed the Lord. And that is our testimony that we desire to have. Father, thank you so much for your word. and Lord, thank you for speaking through your word to us. And Lord, help us to 
wholly follow you. Help us to uh, see every area of our life. Lord, nothing off limits. Uh, Lord, help us to ask you to search our hearts. Help us to uh, follow you in every area, every avenue. Help us to wholly follow you. Lord, not just in one area and not touch others. Uh, Lord, please help us to serve you, be faithful to you in every area of our life. Lord, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.